You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. It's going way away this morning. God in his mercy chooses us and chooses to have a relationship with us. What an incredible thought. Would you agree? Like if you were to ever dream of something, would the dream include that? And we're going to talk about some stuff this morning, and so I want you to, um, I'm looking at the clock, I want you to get comfortable. And when I say comfortable, it, it means that I want you to just, re, just um, relax where you're at for right now because there, there will be a time when you won't get to do that. So, so this, is, this is what's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to loosen this just a bit because we've got some stuff we're going to talk about this morning. I, I don't know about you, and... and DJ, DJ and I were already talking about a football game later today, and, and, and I don't know when you grew up if you had ambitions or dreams about certain things. I mean, a lot of, a lot of kids grow up and they go, I want to be a fireman, or I want to be a policeman, or I want to go into the army, or something like that. Or it may be that you had your favorite baseball player, favorite football player, or, or something else, you say, I want to be like them. And maybe you were in that spot. It may, maybe you are you were smart enough to, to go, I want to be like that physicist. That wasn't me. I was not that kid. I was the kid who would take my, my T-shirts that mom bought, and, and behind her back, I would change the, the way it was designed. And so because I grew up in Pittsburgh, I would take the shirt, and I would color on the sleeves, the, the pirate colors. And then I'd go out and play baseball with my friends, and they would do the same thing. And it would only be trouble once we got home and mom realized we took the good t-shirt and made it into a baseball shirt that will never be clean or, or be able to be worn like it was supposed to be worn again. Maybe you're in that spot. I also grew up watching a football team that, that was fairly good, and so I wanted shoes like Elsie Greenwood. Now, some of you don't remember that. Some of you weren't even around then. But he had high top yellow shoes. And so what I wanted is I wanted high top yellow somethings that, that I could wear out to play in the street with my friends. And I would go through shoes quickly as a, as a kid because I, I had habit of dragging my feet on certain things. And so I, I would, my parents would buy those shoes and they'd go, well, these are pretty expensive. And I would go out and play for about two weeks until there was a hole. And they were like, we're not doing that anymore. But I had dreams. I had, I had ambitions. I wanted to do something. This was not on the agenda, by the way. Now, I came close on one Easter. I came close to this agenda. Um, I grew up Catholic. Some of you, we've talked about that before, and there was a snowstorm that came through Pittsburgh, and we couldn't get to church, so I played the priest. Now, that, that made my mom really, really happy. 
It's like, oh, I got a priest, yay. No. No, I, we, we went to my basement. We did, I did some guitar stuff. We sang. I handed out Necco wafers, and we were all good. It was a way to do Easter. Didn't want to miss that. So I had dreams and ambitions, and, and I don't know what your dreams or ambitions are. And I, I want to tell you that regardless of your age, there ought to be something you look forward to. And some of you are going, I've got years and years and years, and I can look forward to this. And some of you are going, my next step of looking forward is to be in heaven. That's where I'm at. But I, I want to tell you, as long as you're breathing, you ought to have a dream for here. There ought to be something that God's laid on your heart, something that God's moving you into that regardless of your age, you are willing to pursue that with all your heart. And if you don't have that, I want to ask you to pray about it. Because God still has you here for a purpose. He did not take you this far and say, okay, well, that's good enough. Now we can move from that spot just into heaven and you get this gap in here where you don't have to do anything. That's hogwash. If you're still breathing, you have a purpose on this earth to accomplish what God wants to do through you and in you. So don't pass that up. I fear that there'll be some that are, going, that, that are saying, I'm done with what I need to do, and I'm just waiting on God to take me home. Well, if God were done with you, he'd already taken you home. And I'm guessing you wouldn't be sitting here. So God has something for us. He has a dream for us. He has, a, he has something he wants us to do and accomplish. I want you to listen to this passage out of Joel. It's Joel chapter 2. And the, um, the, the story behind this has to do with a really tough time, but God's giving a word of encouragement to the people, and he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. And in verse 27 and 28, it says this, thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. If you want to make that modern day, you say, this, this, or thus you will know that I am in the midst of Durham, Hillsboro, wherever it happens to be, Hurdle Mills, and name a place, Chapel Hill, name it. Or I'm in the midst of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame. And then he says this in verse 28. And it will come about after this, that I, after this event, after this stuff happens, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Now, I don't know about you, but if God pours out His Spirit, what does He lay down in front of us? Because those are words that point forward, not backward. Those are not backward-looking things. I will pour out my Spirit so you can look back and see how good it was. No, I'm going to pour in my spirit so you can look forward to what's ahead, not what's behind. It's not that you don't look back, it's that you look back with perspective so you can look forward. 
So we're going to jump to a couple passages this morning that are kind of familiar passages. Because I want to ask you this question. What do you dream or envision for your future? What do you dream or envision for your future? That's the first question. The second one is, what do you dream or envision about Ebenezer Baptist Church's future? What do you dream or envision about this church's future? Because if, if your dream or, in, or what you envision for you or what you dream or envision for this church is anything less than what God has for it, then we've missed the mark. Listen to what it says in Proverbs. We're going to go there, but I want you to understand something. We're starting this series called Vision, Refocused. And we're going to spend some time working through our vision strategy and our vision for this church going forward. I've been here a year. And it's taken a while for me to, to kind of figure out some things and to learn some things and to, to gravitate or grow, grip some, some different ideas. And, and, and I think at this point, Staff is going to get together this, this next weekend, and we're going to work through some things. And, and by the time we get to November, hopefully we've got a really clear picture of the direction we're going as a church family. And so this morning, we're kind of setting the stage for that. The, the questions are this, what has God called us to be and to do? That's the first one. And what will the journey require? That's the second question. The third question, what could be, listen to this, what could be if we are obedient? What could be if we're obedient? Because pursuing God's vision for us is going to require something. It's going to shake us up a little bit. It's going to make some of us uncomfortable and it'll make others really comfortable. What could be if we are obedient? So we're going to start in Proverbs 29, which if you look around this building, you'll see it. It's, it's outside that door. If you go out there, I wouldn't suggest this on your way out this morning unless you want to get trampled, but you can go out and do a quick U-turn, look back and look up at the wall, and it'll, it'll say this. You can look at the mirror out there and see the same thing. There's a, a wooden plaque in my office that says the same thing. And so you'll see these words a lot of different places around the building. But I want us to, to really get a good grip and unpack this so we understand what it means. Because we will throw out Proverbs 29 18 and not think much of it. We need to think a lot of it. it says this. Would you, I tell you what, would you stand? We're just going to read the one verse, but we'll read this and then we'll pray. Proverbs 29 18 says this. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. 
Would you, would you say that out loud with me? I want us to, to really get that and hold it, okay? So, so let's, let's read it together. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Let's pray. Father, we're in this place this morning, and Father, I pray that as we look at this verse, as we look at passage out of the Gospel of Luke, that you will remind us of what you're about. And Father, as we get the challenge, as we understand what you want us to do, that we'll be obedient to you. That we won't hold back. And that we'll realize that what you have for us is much greater than what we could conjure up or conceive on our own. And so God, I pray that will be submissive to you that we may actually pursue what is on your heart. And so God, help us, teach us, grow us, stretch us, and do those things in us and through us that would honor you and bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or the people perish. Now you've heard that for, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard that verse. And, but we, we don't often look at it closely. And so I want to kind of walk through that and let that lead us into Luke 19. It says, um, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision. Well, let's just stop there. What is vision? What is it? Is it something that we put on a wall? Is it a plaque? Is it a picture? Is it a slogan? Is it something like that? Or is it more than that? Well, the, the writer here, when he says there is no vision, he's basically talking about some type of, res, some type of revelation. It's God-directed purpose for existing. It's a God-directed purpose for existing. And it requires that there be divine communication. It's interesting that he writes this, that the, where there is no vision, and so the writer of Proverbs is assuming that God wants something done. And it comes from him. And so it's up to God to communicate to, that to us, and it's up to us to have ears and a heart and a mind to hear it and move forward with it. And so if we listen to this, we go, okay, God, would you, by divine communication, share with us a vision for moving forward. The second part of that is it requires a divine undertaking. Not just divine communication, but a divine undertaking. The understanding is if this comes from God and it is that big, we can't do it. So we go, man, that is really, that's a really big dream. That's a really big idea. It's okay because it's God's. I want, to, I want to tell you that anything that you can figure out to accomplish on your own may not be from God. God's directing the vision. So we say, God, communicate that to us and give us the, give us the energy, give us the commitment, give us the courage to pursue this. I want you to think about what God's doing in you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 Says, says very clearly, for by what? Grace are you saved through faith, 
It is what? The gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 10 says what? For we are created as God's workmanship, created to do good works, right? When God puts something together, he puts it together well. So we talk about a dream for your life. Understand that God wants a hand in that. He not only created you, but he created you and wants to fashion you to accomplish what he wants to. And so when we look at Ephesians 2, when we look at that passage, we say, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to accomplish? For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works. We don't earn it. We can't do it. That no one should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's this looking forward in our life as what God's doing, and there's this right now stuff that God's doing in us. And so for you personally, what is God doing in your life? How is he molding you? How is he shaping you? How is he crafting you to accomplish what he wants to? If our vision for ourselves is only what we can envision, only what we can see, and we don't take the God factor into it, we may have cut God short. The second part of this verse says, it says where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or the people perish. Well, that's a, that's a big word. But, it, but it's pretty clear. Uh, if you look at it, you go, well, if they don't have a vision, they're going to die. And we look at it that way, but that's really not the, the meaning of this. It, it really is where there is no vision or a set direction div divinely appointed by God, then the people are unrestrained or go their own way. And so what you have is, if there is not a vision which you are pursuing, then you go whatever way you want to go. The Scripture is real clear. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So we're not real smart sometimes. So we don't base it, the vision is not based on us. The vision is based on what God wants to do through us and in us. So we look at that and we say, okay, God, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. What does that mean we need to do? It means that we need to figure out what direction we're going and then all pull together, going the same direction. You can't be pulling in different directions. seeing too many churches pulling opposite directions with all their might and actually pulling nowhere. And if you want to picture it, put, put two horses, put one over here, one over here, and have that horse pull that way and this horse pull that way. They can pull with all their might, but where does what's stuck in the middle go? It goes nowhere. Or it only moves to, to the side of what the stronger horse is. If we have ministries that are set up that way, where one ministry says, I'm going this way, another ministry says, I'm going this way, another one says, I'm going that way, and this one's going that way, and, and yet we say, yeah, we want to follow God's vision, but we're all pulling a different direction, the church will never go anywhere. 
The church has to be aligned for going the single direction. And what has God called us to do? When this writer writes this, he understands the purpose of the church is to go a singular direction, a direction that is God-given by his communication with us doing a divine undertaking because it's his work. Acts 2, 42 through 47 talks about that they came together and they met and they broke bread and they sat under the apostles' teaching. And there was an awe that took place that people were added to their numbers daily. Not weekly, not yearly, but daily. People were being saved. It's because they had all things in common. I think there was a, an understanding that when you came into the body of Christ, this body of Christ was going this direction and you get on board with it. I think that's what was happening in Acts 2. So that the word was shared. They were coming to Christ. They said, oh, we need to share too. So they would go and they would tell their friends and their, they would bring their friends to hear the word of God. They would get saved and they would join in and go that direction as well. We need to be people that are going the same direction, the same divine direction that God has chosen for us. And we're unique. There's no church like us. You can look around. And, and I would say the same thing about that church, whether it's over that direction or whether it's that direction. Church is unique because it has unique people in it. People that are specifically gifted, people that God has crafted and then put together as a body to flesh out what he wants to do in a particular community. The third part of this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law, essentially says there's some guardrails. There's some things that will keep us in line, that will keep us focused in what we're supposed to be doing. And so we look at that and we say, okay, God, if we're going this direction and we want to hear from you, we're going this direction, we're doing it together. To understand there are some parameters, but we're going to pursue that with passion. And so what I want to ask you, are you in the midst of a personal journey worth dying for? And then are you committed to a church that is on a journey worth dying for? God has called us to be a passionate people. And if your dream for yourself is about you and not about the glory of God, your dream's too small. If your dream for this church is about what would make you comfortable, and not what those outside the body of Christ need so that they can have a relationship with Christ, then your dream is too small. And in addition, maybe self-centered. I know that's harsh. But what's God called us to be as a church in a community like this? 
So there's lots more people outside of this building than there are inside the building. There's a lot of folks that need to know who Jesus is, but need to be given the opportunity to have a relationship with him, to experience the freedom from the guilt and the shame that, that the choir sung about. And we have to be that, that communicating peace to the world around us that Jesus not only lives, but he lives and loves you with an immense, a fierce love. And he wants relationship with you. So we have to be a people that are driven by a vision, that understand what it means to go to the same direction together and have a passion for pursuing that. So what should the passion be? Turn over to Luke 19. We'll spend a few minutes there. Familiar story, Luke 19, starting at verse 1. It says, and he, and this is talking about Jesus, and he entered and was passing through Jericho. Now, as he approaches Jericho, he runs across a guy by the name of Bartimaeus who can't see, and he heals him. And so he's, he's entering Jericho, and, and he gets there, and he says, and he was passing through Jericho, and behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a, oh, well, he's a tax collector, but he was a wee little man. So if you, if you did vacation Bible school or anything, he was a wee little man, okay? I don't have the definition for that, but he was a chief tax gatherer. That's what he did. He collected taxes. And Luke gives us this description of him. He was rich. You say, well, that's, so what? Well, he collected taxes and made money. So it means a couple of things. One, he was not well liked in the community. Didn't, probably didn't have a lot of friends. But if you tag that or, or attach it to the story we, we would read before that, you, you would understand Bartimaeus, who's a blind beggar, and then Zacchaeus, who's a rich tax gatherer, are on two ends of the spectrum. Jesus has conversation with both of them. It didn't matter to Jesus that one had money and one didn't, that one could see that one couldn't. Jesus' passion was to seek them out and to do something in their lives. And so Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich, and he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd. Essentially, what he saw was he saw the backside of people's backs. And if they were really tall, maybe their legs. I don't know how big Zacchaeus was. I know what it's like having um, a daughter who's not very tall. You can, you can talk to her about that when she gets here. She'll be glad. No, she won't be glad to talk to you about that. But I know that she has trouble in crowds seeing anything. She would just as soon be on somebody else's shoulders. And so he, Zacchaeus, was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And so you get the picture. 
This crowd is there waiting on Jesus to pass through. Now, Jesus has his own crowd that goes with him. And as they're coming through, Zacchaeus goes, I want to see who this guy is. I've heard about him, and I just want to see him. And so he runs on ahead of the crowd, kind of gets up in front of the, of the motorcade, jumps up into a tree or climbs up into a tree. And I don't know how hard that was for a guy with a robe and, and stuff. I would assume he had a robe. I had to hike it up and get up into that tree. It probably wasn't very comfortable. He gets up into the tree. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. He saw Bartimaeus. He sees Zacchaeus in the midst of a crowd. He sees a guy who wants to see him. And so Zacchaeus, he hurried and came down and received him gladly. It means he, he went away rejoicing. Uh, he had this audience with Jesus. And, and when, he, when they saw it, and he's talking about those that were around Jesus and, and observing. And, and you know, if, if you've read all this, you would say that group was probably the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? It'd be the, the religious elite that would look and say, whoa, you've stepped over the line, Jesus. Well, they've been telling Jesus he stepped over the line for a long time. When they saw it, they began to grumble or mumble among themselves saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, it's interesting what they didn't see. Zacchaeus climbs in a tree to see Jesus and they can't look at themselves and see that they don't measure up. They're just kind of upset that Jesus has gone to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus stopped or stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Let's just stop right there because it's really interesting what this, what this passage is saying as Jesus stops to address Zacchaeus. So Jesus is sojourning through this and, and it says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. It was a, it's a requirement. It's a non-negotiable. I'm coming to your house. And it's for the express purpose of accomplishing something. This, this word means to, to, that word stay means to have a connection or abide. It's the same word we find in John 15 where it says, abide in me and I in you. I've got to come and I've got to stay. I'm going to park right there with you for a moment. And it really doesn't matter what other people say. That's irrelevant. There could be a whole group of people that are not happy because I came to your house. But do I look worried about that? No. I'm coming to your house. I must go to your house. And I must stay at your house. See, there will always be grumblers. There will always be this a group that will mumble behind the scenes because they don't like what's happening in the front of the in the front scene. 
Any vision, go back to Proverbs 29, any vision given by God will encounter opposition, ask Nehemiah. Ask Daniel. Ask Moses. Just go ahead, ask them. Ask Jeremiah. Ask Paul. Any vision given by God will encounter opposition, and it could be verbal, but it may be physical. And if God's given, given us a vision as a body, then it will have opposition. It may be verbal and it may be physical. Jesus at this point was identifying with someone who was unlovable, seemingly unlovable, definitely unlikable didn't hold a great position in society. The fact is that you and me are that same way. Apart from Christ, we have a great need for forgiveness. And we're just as sinful as Zacchaeus was. So we may not be tax collectors. We might be. I've known some. We may be not in that category. But we have a desperate need for salvation through Christ. And so to think that we're better than Zacchaeus because of his job, that'd be tough. Zacchaeus has a change of heart. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped or stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions I I will give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. He said, Well, Zacchaeus, do you think you're just working for it? Now, there you whether you know it or not, there are folks in churches that that say, I will serve on a particular ministry team or a committee or you know, whatever term you want to use. I will serve there and I will do this because I think it earns points with God. I will do this because I'm trying to earn my way into God's favor. And I want to tell you, you can serve on 17,000 committees and it won't make you any closer to God. Your relationship with Christ is not not whether you sing in choir, although that's a good place to be. It's not whether you show up on Wednesday or Sunday every single week or decide you're going to take two weeks out of the year to do something else, but you're going to do the other 50, and that's good. It's not based on any of that. It's based on the relationship you have with Christ and what God has done in your life that you couldn't do for yourself. So Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. I've got to look at this and go, okay, Jesus, you understand Zacchaeus' heart. We can look at it and say, Zacchaeus, you're trying to make up for, for lost ground with respect to God. But Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. I've got to say, it wasn't about making up for something that I had messed up. It was about turning my life over to Christ and the change that comes because of that. And so we get to verse 10. 
which is kind of the, the key part of this. It says, and this is the explanation for us as to why. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to think about that for just a moment because there's some specific words in here that you would go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I back up and I take a look at this, something's missing. Something's off. Something's just not quite right. Because when I lose something, I seek it, right? And what happens when I seek it and I, and I see it? It's become what? It's become found. So what I would say, if it were me, I'd say, for for Bob has been seeking something and found it, found that which was lost. But that's not what it says. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The implication there is that, that God looks, is intently looking and chasing after. But then to save that which was lost is different than finding that which was lost. Saving implies that a rescuing that has taken place. When we have our life there and, and God comes in and says, I'm seeking and I'm saving you or I'm rescuing you, you got to realize that that's not something that we can do on our own. I saw a video this week of, of a new rescue technique. It, it was, you know, when you... When you fall overboard, what do they do? They, they throw this round thing out at you, and they hope they get it to the right spot, right? And then you're going, well, I'll swim to it, or, or take, pull that back in, throw it again. See if you can get a little closer so I can get saved. The thing I saw on Facebook this week was this, this deal. They throw it in, and it's got, it's got motors on it and a remote control, so they can kind of direct it to where they want it to go. And then you kind of hook on, and they direct you back in. It's a video game in water. It was so cool. I thought, well, man, that, that's wonderful. Put that on every boat. That's cool. We'd have kids playing all over the place with the inner tubes. You know, it would be, it'd be fun. But it's because rescuing has to take place that that thing's even thrown into the water. There's a rescuing that has to take place in us because we are doomed and dead in sin apart from Christ. And we have to be rescued. We must be rescued. If we're not rescued, then we're dead. And Scripture says that when we give our life to Christ, we're made alive. We are a new, a new creation in Christ. So Jesus came to seek and to save or rescue that which was lost. And the word lost means to be ruined, declared that one should be put to death. But the key to this is in the very first part of this, for the Son of Man has come. He didn't sit back and go, man, I hope you guys figured it out. He came with purpose. It was an arrival on purpose. Going by Bartimaeus and healing him was an arrival on purpose. Coming down the street, looking up into a tree where nobody should really be hanging out. Looking up into that tree was an arrival on purpose for Zacchaeus. So if we're going to be the people of God, 
that have a vision that is divinely communicated. And we want to pursue something with a divine, for a divine undertaking, and we want to do it with passion. It would only make sense to follow that which Jesus came to do. It would only make sense that we would follow his example as we're surrendered to him. Realizing that we can't do it on our own, but we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to help us be a people that reaches out beyond the walls of this church. Because there's people out there that are in trees. There's people out there that can't see. There's people that need to know who Jesus is. So part of our vision has to line up with Jesus's. What we're called to do has, has to match for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to ask you two things as we get ready to, to open the altar and, and stand and, and respond to what God has called us to do. The, the first thing is that if you are apart from Christ, you must understand that you're ruined. You, if you're apart from Christ, you're destined for an eternal death. And there's nothing that you can do to rescue yourself. You don't earn it. can't work for it. You can't hang on the coattails of somebody else that already has a relationship with Christ and think, oh, that'll be enough. It's you and God. It requires trust. So if you're in this place today, you say, I don't have a relationship with Christ. It's going to require trust. It's not going to require that you know more. I just don't think I know enough. I want to tell you, and we've talked about this before, when I step onto a plane, I know very little of how that thing works but I trust somebody else. So if you're going, I don't know if I can do that, I would say try it. Trust Christ. That's the first thing. If you're in here and you say, I already have a relationship with Christ, then maybe it's more about courage than anything. For us to pull the same direction and pursue what God says should be is going to require courage. It's going to require us to step out. I was thinking about this, this yesterday as getting, getting ready, and I am not a car repair guy. So if you need your car worked on, you can call me, but I'm going to tell you to call somebody else. It's not, I don't want to be mean to you, but I don't want to break you. But I've taken on a couple of things every once in a while. And it was a willingness to step into something that I wasn't real familiar with, and, and I wasn't very good at it. But there were some things that happened in the midst of that, in the midst of trying to do what I wanted to accomplish. As I, I learned some things, I realized I probably didn't have the right tools the other part of that is I realized it was going to nick me up a little bit. 
If you've worked on a car at all, you realize you get your hand in there and get it get contorted in certain ways that your hand's going to come out just a little bit bloodier than when it went in. It's the way it works with me. It wasn't that I was perfect at it, but I was willing. I want you to hear me. There are too many white-knuckled Christians holding on to the back of pews during invitation. Too many white-knuckled folks that are holding on to that imaginary pew when they go to their job or when they go to the grocery store. And not enough bloody-knuckled Christians that are willing to say, I'll do, God, what you want me to do. Sometimes it takes us to move just a little bit into a place where we're uncomfortable and we get a little nicked up to accomplish what God wants us to do. You think about Paul in prison. Was that his dream? No. But as he started pursuing what was on God's heart and God's mind and God's passion and God's dream, he had to let go of what was comfortable for him and pursue what was on the heart of God. So this morning, whether you're in that place of ruin because you need a relationship with Christ, if you're in that place, I want to invite you to come to the front here and talk with us and just say, I need Christ. If you're in this place, you go, I want to be that person that, that is following Jesus' example Jesus's example to go and to seek and to save that which was lost, not because I can accomplish it, but because I'm willing to be that vessel that God uses outside the walls of this building. If you're in that place, I want to invite you to come forward and pray. But it means you're going to have to let go of a seat. Question, where will you stand? And are you willing to do it? That's the question. People without a vision perish. People without a vision, without a revelation, are unrestrained. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's be the people of God that God's called us to be. And let's impact this community for the cause of Christ and allow his name to be to be famous. Allow his name to shine from this corner. Let's pray. God, we are awed by your by your power, by your strength. We are awed by your passion for us. And Father, you didn't have to send your son to rescue us from the penalty of our own sin, but you did. Father, you didn't have to even offer that. Yet your word says, if we will trust you, if we will accept by faith, that you will forgive us and give us new life. And Father, the new life that those of us who call ourselves Christian, that new life is available to those that we hang out with, and, and yet sometimes we're very timid in that.
And so, Father, I pray this morning for any that, that may not know Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. And for those of us who do, that we could cross timid off our list of characteristics and follow you with a passion that is unmistakable outside the walls of this building. And so, God, I pray that you would drive us to pursue the vision you have for us, that a light bulb would come on in our head and in our heart to be the people you've asked us to be, that workmanship created to, in Christ to do good works. God, be blessed by our obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if God's spoken to you this morning, if God's kind of laid on your heart and says, I'm, I'm not sure about my relationship with Christ, we want you to be sure. And then if you need to come and pray, the altar is open. For listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church, we welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.